0: Hello and welcome to Sustain, a podcast where we talk about open-source sustainability for the long haul. This episode is part of our Maintainer Month, which we're celebrating maintainers along with GitHub. So today I have a maintainer on the podcast. I am, of course, Richard Litauer. I'm the only host today. So hello, everyone. Nice to be here. And my guest today is Bob Killen. Bob, how are you doing hey. today? Eh, not too bad. It's you know pretty good for a Monday. Pretty good for a Monday. I will take it. Excellent. Speaking of Mondays, or we're starting with M, Bob is calling in today from Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he is a program manager at Google. Moving right on to K's, he is also big in the Kubernetes space. So he's in the SIG for Contributor Experience chair, or the chair of the SIG for Contributor Experience, and he's an elected steering committee member. I believe SIG stands for Special Interest Group. Yep. Is that correct? Okay. Just for those listeners like me who are a bit slow on the uptake as well as being part of the Google OSBO, along with amazing people like Amanda Casari, our one and only awesome host, along with all the other hosts, with a focus on cloud data computing. He serves on Kubernetes, right? He's been doing that for a while, but he comes from an academic background. He spent 15 years at the University of Michigan with a focus on computational research, which is awesome. And as a CNCF ambassador, Bob has worked towards improving high performance computing, machine learning and other research initiatives by integrating them with cloud native practices and tooling. Passionate about academic outreach, outspoken advocate of open source, open science and passionate about pets of the four legged variety of which I assume he means mammals like dogs and cats and not the Tuatara, which is illegal to have. Bob, okay, so you have a lot of experience. You've done a lot of things in a lot of different spaces, and it seems like you used to be an academic and then moved over to Google. I think my first question is, how do you find the process of maintaining Kubernetes and maintaining a role in special interest groups while also being a full-time paid staff member at a organization that takes a lot of time like Google?
1: Thankfully, in my role, Google encourages me to contribute. Part of my role is to be active in the Kubernetes community and being part of OSPO and just continue to make sure that it's continues to be healthy and we get a nice flow of contributors coming into it and trying to make sure that we have more sort of growing on the ladder and going into the leadership positions just to make the project sustainable for the long term.
0: That is awesome. Okay. So you're one of those lucky people who has figured out the golden egg scenario where you get to work on open source during your daylight hours, during your work hours. Love that. That's awesome. Next question. Do you ever stop working? Because a lot of people in those roles continue to work. (laughs) No? Okay. I have no such thing as work-life balance. Excellent. And by excellent, I mean, I'm sorry? That's okay. How long have you been in the open source space? Quite
1: some time now. Honestly, going back to the mid-2000s, although even earlier than that, I was actually part of 2600 and the local hacker and nerd scene in the late 90s. Cool. Um, But like in terms of like actively contributing back, probably the mid 2000s.
0: What made you make the switch from academia?
1: I really enjoyed academia and I liked what I was doing. But Google had actually reached out to me with the opportunity to contribute more to Kubernetes and sort of be in that space full time. And it was kind of hard for me to pass
0: up. So you were already working on Kubernetes before you joined Google.
1: Yep. Both me and my coworker slash best friend. Jeff Sika, well, no longer coworker. We worked at the University of Michigan together. Late in 2013, we were working on our own sort of container scheduler thing. And then Docker came out and then Kubernetes came out. We got on board there for a bit. Couldn't really use Kubernetes in production at that point. So we pulled back and focused internally for a bit, but then really came back to the scene in like 2016, 2017.
0: Cool, I like that. I'm gonna take a left shift. Tell me about the Contributor Experience SIG. What do you do there?
1: So our group is essentially tasked with just like keeping an eye out for the overall health for the project itself. In addition to, you know, health, it's also sort of keeping track of a lot of the various services. It's a very service oriented group where, you know, we manage all the Zoom accounts, YouTube, GitHub, all the various like little pieces just to, you know, make sure Increasing the wheels of contributing to the project.
0: So that's contributing. Contributing isn't necessarily maintainers. Is there a subgroup of like maintainer experience? Not really,
1: but the group does really focus on that as well. We will look at metrics to try and gauge the health of the project and where certain other SIGs potentially need help. We will work with the other SIGs to do their own mentoring program. Usually, like when they will reach out to us that like, hey, we don't have a lot of maintainers in this area and we want to change that. And so we will sort of work with them to basically build a program to try and grow people into those roles.
0: Really interested in that. How do you find people who are interested in growing into those roles? That can be difficult. We do a wider call out
1: for people that might be interested. And the way we do most of the mentoring in Kubernetes is sort of a group mentoring cohorts. This is honestly because we care about the maintainer's time and doing a one-on-one type maintainer mentoring relationship. If that mentee flakes or has a life thing where they have to step away suddenly, well, the maintainer spent a lot of time trying to teach this person to come into it and they're gone. So we will pull in usually groups of six to eight people, sort of do things over a release cycle or a release cycle of Kubernetes. So about four months to sort of go up a rung in the ladder. This might be longer for some, might be shorter for others, but the whole intention of being, you know, you go in with six to eight and if you get one to two, that's a win.
0: I'm literally taking notes. I haven't heard of that process before, and I really like it. Now, the
1: big thing is it de-risks the maintainer's time. They're already overworked and overstressed. The other thing that we found has been really beneficial is the mentees will talk to each other. So if they have questions or we'll create like a private Slack channel forum and just a place where, you know, where they don't have to be afraid of asking what they might think is a stupid question, but there isn't really a stupid question. I guarantee you someone else had the same thought and they'll be able to ask each other like, Hey, has anyone seen this? You having a problem with this? Or like, hey, can you review my PR? And you have just this little group of people that can sort of like actively help each other through that.
0: Do you have a private Slack channel as well for all the people who are running the SIGs that do the same thing?
1: No. In Kubernetes, we avoid private Slack channels as much as possible. We have an exception process for requesting them. Usually it's only groups that have to deal with security-related things, kind yeah. of contract related things, just because we want to make sure as much happens and open as possible. But, you know, we are aware that, especially if you're newer and trying to grow in an area, you might be hesitant about tossing a question just into a Slack channel with 2,000 people in it. It's just the nature of the beast.
0: Well, there's a question I want to ask, and I can't figure out how to ask it. So maybe I'll just state what I'm trying to figure out is being a maintainer, you're always learning. So you're always somewhat new. How do you deal in your own life with feeling like I have a question that I want to ask and I feel stupid asking it? Where do you ask those questions?
1: At this point, I've grown past the point of being afraid of asking them in public. So popping the channel and ask them, it, or like, and I might tag a few individuals that I know in the community mm-hmm. already that might be able to answer it. And part of the benefit of at least trying to do that in an open place as much as possible is other people also see it. So it becomes then available in the Slack logs and things like that for people search and potentially find themselves.
0: Sometimes being able to do that and having the trust and expertise to know that's okay is a really big struggle. So that's why I asked if that's something that you've largely solved through experience and time, what is hard for you about maintaining these days?
1: Finding time. Well, yes, I do work on the Kubernetes project as part of my day job, I do also have a lot of other responsibilities, and there's a lot in the project itself. It, I believe, is the second largest open source project. We have almost 80,000 contributors, 2,000 GitHub org members, 350 repos, and there are people all over the world doing this essentially 24-7. So it can be difficult to keep up with everything. There's an endless backlog of issues, prioritizing and triaging, and it can be an issue. Do
0: you have any tricks for shredding off? No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> cool.
0: If you know any, please tell me. <laughs> Music, meditation, going for a walk, all the things. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's tough. It's tough. So obviously, it's a huge labor. It's also a labor of love. It's also your actual labor, labor. We're recording this on May Day. So just shout out to people laboring everywhere. What do you enjoy the most? What keeps you there?
1: People. I absolutely love the people that I work with. Most of my friends over the past few years aren't all other Kubernetes contributors. I get like open source is the way to find friends in your 30s.
0: <laughs> I love that. Has the conference route proven effective for helping you connect with those people in real life?
1: Oh, yeah. So KubeCon, Cloud Native Con happens. There's one in EU, one in NA, and the one in China is coming back again. But we had just over 10,000 people at the one in EU last month. And then alongside each KubeCon, we also do a contributor summit. Usually it's a one day thing where we'll run workshops, we'll have unconference sessions, and honestly, a lot of hallway track time to just like connect and chat with people and catch up. I actually think if you asked most of the contributors, The reason why they attend QCons and go to the summit is just to meet and talk with people in
0: person again. I think I would agree with that. That's certainly my experience of a lot of conferences. Professionally, academically, a lot of the thing that you do in academia is publish for the sake of publishing. And that's where you get your cred and that's where you feel successful. With open source, sometimes it's PRs. It's things that you feel like you've shepherded along and seen. In your case, maybe special interest groups growing. What I'm curious about is because you have this academic background, do you still feel the need to research? Do you have like long-term things that you're trying to plan through as well?
1: Sort of. Most of the researchy type things is mostly just because I'm that type of person. And like I will sit there and look at spreadsheets for fun. I'm just kind of like one of those people that loves like diving in and exploring that sort of stuff. And then in terms of putting things into action long term, I will say like things in open source tend to be slow and some of the things can literally take years to see come to fruition.
0: I'm still waiting for Wi-Fi to improve as a <laughs> protocol. So I hear that. What are you looking forward to the most going forward?
1: I am looking forward to step down from some of my leadership roles. I have worn the mantle for a while and I'm happy to pass it on to someone else. Going back to the whole mentoring cohort type stuff. So SIG Contributor Experience has been doing a leadership mentor cohort where we have essentially been training up and teaching some people to replace us so that way some of us as leads can step down and want more people to be okay with the idea of stepping down.
0: As one of those people who has the golden egg type scenario where you're working for open source, do you think that stepping out of the leadership role will affect your job prospects or your worth for Google or any Uh, company? Sorry. I don't think so. Cool. Cool.
1: A lot of the stuff, like outside of Kubernetes, I'm still heavily involved in the ecosystem as a whole. I've been on and off more engaged, like at the CNCF level. I'm hoping that CNCF has sort of their own equivalent contributor experience called Contributor Strategy, where their goal is to help like build documents and blueprints and help like all the projects in the foundation. And I'm hoping once I step back from some of my leadership roles. There's a few initiatives in the Kubernetes that I really want to spend more time tackling. And then I want to work more over there to sort of benefit the greater ecosystem as a whole.
0: As part of the process of stepping down or maybe more appropriately handing over, what's the single most important advice that you're giving to the people who you would want to replace you?
1: Honestly, the title. And because the title, if you just tell like your work or whatever that you're an open source maintainer, they don't know what that means. They don't know how much time investment it might be. But if you pass a title over, if you are the chair, if you are the lead for a thing, it helps them with their career because they can put that on their resume. And it also serves as a signal that like, hey, this person is in a leadership position and they probably need to block off more of their time to be that leader in the community.
0: Really like that. Do you find that structure is necessary for helping out people to... Approach the responsibility of being part of a maintainer like yeah. project. Uh,
1: I do think in general, I don't know if you've had Paris Pittman on here before, but like one of the things that she was always a champion of was she was the contributors chair before me, is like the idea of roles and having these sort of named positions. And as I've spent more time in the project and also working for an employer that's heavily invested in open source, that title winds up being a much bigger thing because it's easier to explain that like, hey, I'm a lead of this instead of like, oh, I am a oversee these subdirectories in this random open source project or something like that. Having the title actually really helps just people make that mental connection, if that
0: makes sense. For small, mid-sized open source projects that aren't part of a massive Kubernetes-like project, would you suggest that they set up structure with titles to make it clearer that, oh, I'm the maintainer, I'm the lead, or I'm the person in this chair, etc.?
1: Might be difficult for very small projects, but like I'd say once you hit like the medium size project, like medium to large size, that's where that can really help where you can't just say like, I'm the maintainer of Foo when it is some very large or growing project. Having that named role in those medium and large things helps.
0: You're just really clear. I really like your perspective a lot and I really liked where you're coming from. And the idea of sort of giving back and recognizing that your role has like been there, but now it's time for someone else to take that is really sweet.
1: I honestly wish more people would be okay with letting go and stepping down. The whole idea of Emeritus. Like actually, I'd say like one of my biggest achievements in the project was pushing for what's known as Emeritus approvers in the project because it gives people a graceful way of stepping down and still being recognized for all their previous efforts, but essentially pulling them out of the group that gets assigned PRs to be reviewed and things like that. Yeah, it's mostly like
0: recognition. So that's recognition in the funereal type sense, almost. This person has done this, but now they're gone. I'm curious, do you have any suggestions for how to recognize people as they're currently doing work?
1: As they're currently doing work, part of it is just sort of you know defining the ladder and letting them be able to climb the contributor ladder. So going back to the whole of like roles and titles, having a defined path that people can grow in the project. So that way switching from contributor to GitHub org member isn't the only thing. You have more levels for them to sort of climb can be a big thing.
0: Bob, it seems like it's good to hear someone who is so far down the path to give advice back down it and how to use it. I'm curious, where can people read more about you and your work on the web? I have
1: a website that links to most of my talks. It's mrbobbytable.es. I've noticed Mr. Bobby tables across all the things. So if you search for that, you'll come across anything I've done pretty much online anywhere.
0: Is that a reference to Little Bobby Drop Tables from XKCD? Yes.
1: So in one of my hats at the University of Michigan was a security. And so little dropping tables and my name is Bob and it just sort of clicked.
0: I've actually always wanted to ask someone who knows, would that actually work? And for those of you who don't know, there's a comic where there's a premise of a kid whose middle name is drop tables. And so you put it in an SQL database and it just kills the whole table. Would that actually work? It has
1: happened actually. If uh, this is why you need to sanitize your database inputs or use stored queries. But there have been cases where someone's had null no or nil, like nil as a name, and that completely screws over the table when they're in, entered in there as a person.
0: That is fascinating. All right, I'm going to go get a name change at the local registrar. Bob, it's been great having you on. Thank you so much. Best of luck with your future endeavors. And listeners, I hope you enjoyed this run down maintainer road with Bob Killen of the Kubernetes and Google. If you have any thank thoughts, you. feel free to let us know. And yeah, Bob, thank you so much.
1: Uh, It's been great. I really
0: appreciate you inviting me on here. Glad to have you. Listeners, we have another podcast coming on after this one. We're trying to do two podcasts in a row for this special Maintainer Month thing. So do stick around and thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Where does the stress fall on a word Very excited to have this podcast today with Navendu Patekats. Navendu is a maintainer who is joining us as part of Maintainer Month. In collaboration with GitHub, we are doing these interviews with maintainers to ask them about what their experience is of maintainership and open source. So Navendu, it's great to have you on. Thank you so much. You're calling today from Kadala. How are you doing?
2: Yeah, doing good. And thanks a lot for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot for coming on. So Navendu is a maintainer of Apache API 6. He helps new contributors to open source by mentoring through Google Summer of Code and the Linux Foundation Mentorship Program. Navendu writes and talks about the cloud native ecosystem and his experience in contributing to building, scaling and maintaining open source projects. So cloud, Apache, API, all the cool stuff. Naveindu, just to start, what is API 6?
2: So API 6 is an open source API gateway. It is hosted under the Apache Software Foundation. So an API Gateway is software that sits between your client applications. So like your mobile apps, your web apps or your developer application and your APIs. So an API Gateway is used to get traffic into your APIs. So if you have multiple APIs, an API Gateway can consolidate them and provide a single place for your client applications to interact. And on top of all this, it provides features like authentication, security, fine-grained traffic control, monitoring, and so on. So if you missed all that, it's basically a reverse proxy with a lot of features.
0: So it's like an API for APIs or something similar.
2: How long have you been working uh, API 6? It has been over a year and a half. So I started early last year.
0: Is that where you work as a full-time job?
2: Yeah. So API 6 was initially developed by what is now API 7.ai. So they initially developed the project and they donated it to the ASF. So I now work for API 7.ai, but I work on the API 6 project. So API 7.ai is building products on top of API 6. We also want to maintain API 6 because we are building stuff on top of API 6. So I work on the API 6 stuff.
0: Cool. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. It sounds like you spend a lot of time with mentoring as well. I'm curious, before we get into what that mentorship is like, how did you end up in this role? How did you yourself get mentored to where you are?
2: I started doing open source stuff just for fun because during the pandemic, I had a lot more free time. So I was building all of these side projects, all of these weekend projects and just pushing them to GitHub. So one of those projects was moderately successful. And... It received a lot of contributors. It received a lot of users and that led me to this open source path. So I was more interested in working on open source stuff. So I eventually started contributing to other open source projects as well. So instead of just building stuff on my own, I was working on other open source projects that I found interesting. Then I learned about mentorship programs. I was part of the Linux foundation mentorship program as a mentee initially. So I had help from mentors in the community. They helped me make contributions. They helped me transition to a maintainer. And eventually I wanted to give it back. I wanted to pay it forward to the community. And then I started as a mentor in these programs. Once I started on this open source path, I was working for companies that built open source projects or like built stuff around open source projects. So I was mostly working for these companies and I was contributing to these open source projects as a part of my job. That was a pretty cool thing to do. So I kept doing it and now here I am.
0: I like that. So you've taken the shift from being a weekend warrior to being a nine to five open source person. Do you ever turn off and stop doing open source? Like what do you do now with your evenings?
2: I still find it really difficult to like just take a step back. I guess that's a common problem for a lot of maintainers because they don't know when to shut things down because there is always something happening in the community. There are always pull requests that needs review. There are always bugs like feature requests that needs your comments. So I guess there's not really a turn-off point, but I try to like actively do that right now because... Over the past few years, I realized that not taking care of myself or like being online 24-7 is taking a toll on my health and like it's not sustainable, I guess. So even outside of my work, I still contribute to open source stuff. I write about open source stuff. I give talks about open source stuff. It's pretty much open source all the way.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Curious about mentorship. So you mentioned that you've gone through LF. As a mentee, and then now you're a mentor, but you also do Google Summer of Code. What's the difference between those two mentorship programs for you on a day-to-day basis? Is it any different to be a mentor for both of those?
2: I worked on the same project in both of these programs. So the project was participating in both of these programs. So I was a mentor on the same project, but in two different programs. So it didn't really change what I did or the way I worked with mentees. But I guess like in the administrative side or like in the whole process, there are some differences, but in general, both of these programs, what they want you to do is to help mentees, make them good open source contributors and make sure that like they contribute to the project even after they graduate from the program. So I think both of these programs do that really well. So I'm
0: curious about API 6 because it seems like it's a really large project, mainly for like corporations or websites that are large enough to have multiple APIs. Are you mentoring for API 6? And if so, are you finding that your mentees are coming from industry or are they freelancers, people who are just interested in it in general because they wanted to get into open source?
2: I haven't been a mentor for the API 6 project. So the projects I I have been a mentor for like, was my previous projects, but it was... In related fields, I guess, but within API 6, most of the mentees, students or developers in like the early stages of their career. So they are looking to get some experience working with open source projects and they are interested in building stuff in the cloud. So it's stuff we do with API 6. So yeah, most of them are either students or new developers.
0: One of the questions I have for you is because you work with students, you work with people wanting to get into the field, they're often unpaid for their work. And so they're working really long hours and hope it pays off. But then as you mentioned, it's hard to turn off sometimes. So I'm curious, how do you mentor clearly while communicating that it's a hard field to get into it because it takes a lot of time, but if you enjoy it, it'll be
2: worthwhile. I guess these programs, they support students through stipends. So it makes a lot of sense for them to take part in this program, like contribute to open source and get paid for it. So they don't have to rely on other day jobs or other internships while they are contributing to open source. They can contribute to open source and then get a stable stipend and like justify spending time working on open source projects. So I guess these programs really facilitate that. And it makes a lot of sense for students or new developers to take part in these programs rather than like using all their spare time or like all their free time to contribute to open source and like not getting anything back, but I'm sure like people will get stuff back. They will learn a lot more and they will like get a lot of experience working with distributed teams and like on big projects, but there is always the matter of money and you need money to make your contribution sustainable. So these programs really help that.
0: Okay. So another money question then I'm curious about at API six, As a maintainer who also mentors, how do you convince the people who are paying you that mentorship is a good idea or are you doing that on your free time mainly?
2: So there is always some aspect of mentorship when you're working on open source projects. So even if we are not part of such programs, so like even if you're not part of Google Summer of Code or other open source mentorship programs, there is still some aspect of mentorship. You do that while you are talking to contributors, you do that when you're talking to students who are really interested in contributing to API 6. You do that like when you visit student clubs or like universities where they are really interested in contributing to open source. So there is always some aspect of that when it comes to open source projects. I guess like the entire API 6 community. I mean the all the other maintainers and the project management committee, as well as the company that I work for they all understand this aspect of community and how we are using open source to build these projects so i guess it is pretty easy to convince them because they don't really need convincing but i guess it changes depending on where you work for and api6 and api7.ai has always been open source first has always been community first but this might not be the case for some other companies so it is pretty easy for me i guess (laughs)
0: Excellent. Yeah, that makes sense. How it is you are always mentoring. I like that. I like the way you phrase that there's always some aspect of mentorship in open source. It seems like things are pretty easy for you. You're very good at describing what's going on and how the system works. So I'm curious, what's hard about open source for you? What's difficult?
2: Like I mentioned before, there is this aspect of working all the time. So there is always issues that needs to be addressed. There are always pull requests that needs to be reviewed. And yeah, so that can be quite overwhelming if you don't like address it right at the beginning. So when I first started building open source projects, I was just excited about people using and contributing to my project. So I ended up working around the clock, talking to users, helping other contributors, answering questions. So it all to me burning myself out. So I guess it happens to a lot for the maintenance as well. And it is also difficult to see this when you are doing all this, because you are just driven by that excitement of having people use and contribute to your project. So that is definitely a hard thing. Another thing is to convince other maintainers that we should focus more on the community. But within APIsX, I guess it's pretty much okay because we have a, a larger pool of maintainers. So APIsX is a pretty big project and we have a lot more people working on the project than like a typical open source project. So convincing other maintainers to care about community was also difficult for me in the past. But if you have people who are focused on community a bit more, then it is okay for others who are not interested or like not really focused on this aspect to focus more on the code. So yeah, if you have people focusing on both these stuff, both community and code, it is pretty good.
0: I like that distinction between people who are community focused and some people who just aren't. That's not a distinction that we hear about a lot. Do you have any tips or advice for setting up a project to enable people who are community focused to get involved?
2: So from my experience, it has always been people stepping up to take over the community aspect. So I really enjoy working with the community. I really enjoy mentoring. I really enjoy taking part in all these programs. I also enjoy talking about the project. I also enjoy writing about the project, helping contributors, helping users. So at some point, some of the maintainers, they have to step up to take care of the community. And they have to intrinsically realize that it's also about the community and not just about pushing code. And I guess this is also inevitable because at some point, the project will scale and the project will have more users and more contributors. So this would mean more open issues, more open pull requests, and you need someone to take care of all that. And this person can gradually evolve to be focused more on the community. But having more people look after the community is always good. So communicating that with other maintainers and communicating that with your management can really help foster this community. And another aspect of community is that you don't need to be a full-time employee or like a full-time maintainer to be part of the community and be someone who helps the community. So you can always have people within your community. So these could be your users. These could be random contributors. You can also encourage your users or your community members to step up and take over some community roles. So what I found within the API6 project is that a lot of our users are helping each other. A lot of our contributors are helping each other by reviewing each other's pull requests, adjusting new features, and all sorts of stuff. So we just have to enable that. We just have to provide a platform for the community to work itself out and I guess doing that will really help.
0: Thank you so much. That's excellent. Navendu, it's been great to have you on. I'm curious, where can people learn more about you and your projects online? Do you have social media or a
2: website? Yeah, so you can learn more about me at navendu.me and about API 6 at api6.apache.org. Yeah. And we also have a lot of projects for contributors as well so we make all kinds of contributions not just code So if you write, like writing documentation if you like going on podcasts to talk about api6 or like if you like <laughs> recording videos you can do all that within the api6 community so just go to api6.apache.org and i'll leave some links in the show notes for you to like follow up on this
0: excellent thank you so much Devendu. listeners you can find those show notes at podcast.sustainoss.org, where all the episodes are. As well, if you downloaded this somewhere else, like on Spotify or something, do like this podcast. It's really useful and tell your friends about it. If you have any thoughts about Naveindu's episode or about anything, feel free to email podcast.sustainoss.org. You can also interface with us on Discourse, on our discourse on the website or on Mastodon and the Horrible Blue site. But Nivandu, thank you so much. This has been really excellent. Best of luck. I'm really glad that you talked about maintainership as well as mentorship. I think they often go together and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you.
2: Thanks for having me.